Well, good morning and happy Easter to all of you guys who are here, to all of the folks that are joining us via live stream. We have one particular guest and his wife who are joining us by live stream who probably had to get some instructions on how to actually do live stream because he's not used to that. And I think this is probably the first Easter service that I can ever remember that Pastor Peter and Gene were not with us here seated among us. So I know they're watching from home. Peter's recovering from back surgery this week. We miss you guys, love you guys, are praying for you. Much grace to you. Yes, amen. I titled this morning's message on Easter morning, The Dawn of New. This is the celebration of the resurrection. I know it gets confused with eggs and bunnies and all kinds of other stuff. Can I just sideswipe that whole issue just for a second? Because I'm a pastor. I'm here to preach the gospel. I really don't care for bunnies, period. But can we just contemplate the idea that the Easter story was just, it just needed some help, didn't it? It, it was just this sort of irrelevant, boring story that needed candy and bunnies to jack it up. Really? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, enjoy your candy, play with your bunnies all you want. Um, but we're here to, to talk about this day in history is the day of the resurrection. Amen. And it is a day, yes, amen. It is a day that brought something new into our world and into our existence. And, and you know, if you're like me, the, the, I think the last couple of years have been a season where we have just wanted something new, right? I mean, enough, enough of what this season has felt like, what it has generated, the, the, the feelings, the emotions, the sameness. And, and you've started to notice that there's many new decisions folks are making in life. We just, we just want something new to show up. So people have, have embraced new jobs. They've embraced new cities. They've moved to new locations. They've made adjustments in their lives because they want something new. But what dawned on this day, something dawned in our world on this day, on Easter morning, that just the day before was not available. Just one day before Easter, there was, there was something about our existence, something in the realm of death that existed in each of our lives that was untouched, unhindered, and unchanged. Right? The apostle Paul described it this way, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, right? So he is the beginning of what more is coming of those who have fallen asleep. And listen to this. We'll come back to this at the very end. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So there's this fact that travels with us in life that death has come to each and every one of us. Whether you and I have ever thought about how did death get in the scene? How did it become part of my story? And why does it interfere with life the way that it does? Well, it started a long, long time ago. And it started through one man named Adam. So in the same way in which through one man, death came to you, through one man, the resurrection of the dead must now come. 
And that's what I hope each of us will wrestle with today on Easter Sunday to consider. But there was a a man who wrote an interesting allegory. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, he describes a moment in which death shows up in all of its ugliness, and it takes the life of the king of Narnia, Aslan, the great lion, who is the king of Narnia, who is all-powerful, and no one could have ever imagined a day when the evil witch and death could show up and do anything to him. But yet, it does. And he does something in return to death. This is how this is described by C.S. Lewis. Here's the story. At that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise, as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. The stone table, that's where Aslan was killed on the stone table, was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from one end to end. And there was no Aslan. Who's done it, cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it more magic? Yes, said a great voice from behind their backs. It is more magic. They looked around. There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried the children, staring at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. But what does it all mean, asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. Now, please pay careful attention to something that's he illustrates in this story. The evil witch stared back as far in time as she could go and gathered all the information that was available to her in this magical incantation. She knew stuff the average person didn't know. But then we learn that there's stuff that even she doesn't know. There is knowledge beyond the knowledge that natural man can find out. And that knowledge exists before the beginning and after the end. This is a little bit humbling, right, for us. This is a challenge to any of us who would be living in a world where our thoughts are tilting away from the existence of God, trying to describe our existence using maybe science, using maybe gathered information that challenges the existence of God in some ways, that we've discovered information that we have drawn our conclusions from. But can I just raise an idea? What if there's knowledge beyond what you can know? 
What if there's a God who exists outside of the parameters of our existence? Because at some point, we begin. At, At some point, humanity and earth has a beginning moment. At some point, molecules and mountains don't exist. And then suddenly they do. And at some point, they will all come to an end. And on both sides, there is knowledge and truth and existence and life before and after. And it's interesting, the Bible describes it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. says, speaking of God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This is an interesting concept, right? He has put something in man's heart. He has put eternity in man's heart. And etern- this is a weird word. It's a little hard to translate. It's the Hebrew word olam. God has put olam inside of you. And this word is a word that gets translated eternity because it's, it's having to do with time, but it's having to do with time in a way that, that is past and future all at the same time. It looks back to that which is ancient. Sometimes if you find it translated in the Bible, it's translated old. It has to do with ancient things, but it's also translated about the future. So God has put something in us that transcends our moment. It has to do with our history the ancient elements of where did we come from? And it has to do with our destiny of where we are going. It's Olam. And God has put Olam in each and every heart. That's an interesting thing. Can I just tell you, you can go to the doctor, get some blood work drawn, and the doctor's not going to say, hey, we, we found this really weird thing in you. It's called Olam. Right? Science is not going to find that thing. But God says he has put it in each and every one of us. There is something in us that's trying to figure out where do we originate? Where does my story, where does my existence gather its story from the beginning? And where am I going? What is the future of my existence? What is the destiny of my existence? Well, I'm going to take you to Athens Today. We're going to venture into Athens to learn about Easter because in Athens, in the first century, they are having an Olam meeting. They are having a meeting trying to figure these questions out. They are interacting with the idea of what does human existence mean? Where did we come from? And, and where does this all go? So if you have a Bible and you want to turn with me or you want to follow along, there's notes that we make available to you. Some of this will be up on the screen as well. Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is going to visit with the folks in Athens where they are trying to figure out life. And you're going to see why this is so relevant to Easter as we listen to what Paul says to them as they're trying to figure this out. Acts 17 verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, right? You got religious groups in Athens. 
and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there, right? So more secular settings as well. He's interacting with both. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, so there's thinkers that are here, also converse with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him. They brought him to the Oropagus, right? This little setting in town. This is, this, is, this is where they did their Olam meetings, right? They got together and gathered all the thinkers and had all kinds of conversations here in this place called the Oropagus. It's kind of the social media setting. You couldn't plug into anything. No Wi-Fi back then. They took him and brought him to the Oropagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. All right, so let's get the setting here for a moment. This is a city. It's a cosmopolitan city in the first century Athens is. It is a city full of idols. And so if you went from section of town to section of town, you would find idolatry present in these various sections, right? And and that's not too unfamiliar to us. If you went from section of town and section of town today in various cities, you would find idols that are present, right? Some towns, you know, we were in New York City recently, and some towns label sections of town in such a way that they kind of give away what's being sought, Right here, you know, there's, there's Wall Street. There's the financial district in New York City. People have a certain attitude in the financial district. They dress a certain way. They behave a certain way. Certain things are valued. Certain attitudes are present in that location. You travel to a different section of New York City. You have the, the, uh, the theater district where there's entertainment and there's Broadway and there's Carnegie Hall. And so there are entertainment rules. And so if you're an entertainer, if you're an artist, you rule uh, in that section, right? So there's little sketchy sections all over town. There's, there's little places where different ethnic groups are there. And so all the history and tradition of those ethnic groups are in that, you know, little Italy and little China are there. And there's things that are valued there. There's things that people believe in. There's things that people are looking to for their life to mean something, right? And this is true in every setting. If you go to high school, right? If you're a young person, you're going to high school, you recognize there's, there's little sections in the high school. There's people over here who are seeking something different than the little group over here, right? These, are, these guys are the jocks, you know, they're the athletes. That's how they make their name. They score a lot of points on Tuesday night's game. And then Wednesday, they're a celebrity and they show up and they, were, they had a big game the other night and they have found something in the sports world that's defining their existence, explaining to them their Olam issues. And then there's somebody else who's gonna be valedictorian, who is just ripping through every test. Everybody else is failing everything. Oh, you know, so-and-so is gonna get an on this and their reputation is in front of everybody and they're successful when it comes to academics. And then there's another little group. This is, this was the three groups when I was in high school, the freaks who were, you know, they were like coming to class stoned. They were doing drug deals in the bathrooms while they were at school. Um, I couldn't figure out which group to be a part of quite honestly. Um, you know, some of us are just multi-talented. So I was in all three <laughs> groups 
at one point in high school. I was athletic and I got straight A's and I did pot in the bathrooms. Um, So everywhere you go, there is a city full of idols. Everywhere you go. And, you know, the idols, idols are just things that we substitute in the place of God. Things that we look to, to explain Olam to us. Because God has put Olam inside of you. You are looking for answers, whether you have figured that out or not. The Bible's true. We are searching for something. We are looking for eternity. We're looking for our past and our future and and an explanation for our existence. So this is going on every day of our lives. And at any moment in this fallen world, whether you're in Narnia and there's a witch or in your, in this world and there's a real devil, a deal is going to come along that says, Hey, there's something available to you besides God. There's an idol out there. Listen, man's not too long in the garden before Eve gets that introduction from the devil. Yeah. Hey, God has said this, but can I, can I give you another idea here? Have you seen this tree over here? And she looked at it. Remember how she describes, the Bible describes her understanding of the tree, that it was was good for food. It was beautiful. It was desirable to make one wise. So there's pleasure in this idol. There's advancement. If I get around this idol, it'll take me somewhere. It'll improve my life. It'll transfer me to a better location. I'll become wiser. I'll become more known. There's something to enjoy here. Right? This is the ideas that come to us in the form of idolatry. And you and I live in exactly the same world. We live in a world that's come along and said, hey, I know God's held out some ideas for you, but can I tell you that there's advancement over here? Can I tell you there's another form of pleasure over here? Have you thought about this idea? And that's what these guys were doing. At the Oropagus, when they would gather together, they just described something new over and over and over again. It was a new way to scratch the itch on the inside. Something else that was going to solve your problem. The newest product, the newest ideas. And these were well-thought-out ideas. I mean, you and I still know Epicurean and Stoic ideas to this day. So philosophers that have formulated a way to explain our existence, their ideas are still around today. So here's these ideas that are available. But I I noticed something here that that draws my attention. At the end of that passage in verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there, they'd spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Something new. Have you ever thought about what? What is the strange allure about something new? What is it about new things that just capture us, right? Window shopping. Some people go to the mall and it's, it's, it's like a spiritual experience because there's something new. It's like you've got a shirt that looks just like that. Yeah, worn it a lot, but that one, it's new. Right? Your new car smell. There's commercials about new car smells. There's something about new that is so alluring. Well, today I want to I install the idea that part of that's biblical. Part of that is God has installed something that makes us want something new. Right? So it's, I want to be done with this old thing and I want to move on to the new things. We, I mean, we often find fault with that, but, but there's something that they're bears witness to the biblical story, right? If I took you to Romans chapter eight, which I will in this passage right here, 
This is a story about moving on from that which is old to something better, something new, right? Romans 8 says it this way. Verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was, listen, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The creation itself was subjected to futility. That's, that's not a good word, right? That's not a pleasant word. That's not an enjoyable word, right? Creation, which would mean everything created, was subjected to this sense of futility, limit. It's got a ceiling on it. As a matter of fact, it's got a low ceiling on it. So you and I can explore creation as far as we go, but at some point we're going to bump into creation ceiling and it's going to stop providing something to us. It's going to have a limitation on it. That's what that means. And it says this was done on purpose in hope. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The all of creation groans because it keeps bumping into this limitation. It's like, oh, I tried that and it just, it just didn't deliver. It didn't do what I thought it was going to do. Verse 23. Now, not only the creation, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting for something new. And the Bible says, yes, exactly. That's how God has designed the world. I think I wrote in your outline this note, old things become things that lose their capacity to satisfy, to fulfill, and hold our affections. Old things become things that have proven to us they don't work. Um, They don't exactly fix us. They work for what God designed them to be. A moment of interaction, a moment of enjoyment that God gives to us, right? I mean, if if you've eaten something and it tasted great and you were like, man, this is so good. It didn't fix you though, did it? Right, you had a great meal, Best meal you ever had in your life. Olam is still nagging you on the inside of you, still wants an explanation for your existence. Even though that meal was really great, but it just doesn't fix you. A good night's sleep, a trip to somewhere you've never been before to see beauty like you've never seen beauty in your life. But it didn't fix you. It didn't ultimately do what we kind of hoped that it would do. And those things become old and we just move on to something new. Now, now listen, I probably have preached messages on contentment. I probably have picked up the Bible and said, you know, the Bible encourages us to be content with what we have. So this is not a message that says, hey, let's blow off contentment. You, you, should, you should never be content. Uh, but there is an aspect in the Bible that God doesn't want us to be content about. 
there's an aspect of our existence that God's okay if you're not content with. So that piece of us that wants to move on to something new, that's not all bad. It's part of what God has injected, that olam, into our existence. And, and this is going to be true of everybody who exists, right? The wisest, wealthiest man in the world that we know of, King Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he said it this way, Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He's number one, right? Wealthy, wealthy man, successful. People came from all over the world just to get some advice from Solomon because he was so wise and so successful at what he was doing that other rulers all over the world wanted to read his book and wanted to get around him. This is what he says. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation comes, a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All the streams, well, they run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, well, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. Can we just stop right there? I can stop the message right here, right? Do you ever in your life find life to be exhausting? I found the last couple of years to be heightened exhaustion. It just feels more exhausting lately. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, you enter the Christian community and you get slapped down for stuff like that. What? What? You, you find it exhausting? Yeah, Knucklehead, get behind me and let's join Solomon and see if any other wise people thought life was exhausting. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. You ever wonder why you keep moving on to new things? That's why. I just look at that. I'm not satisfied. Well, what are you going to do now? Well, I'll find something new. I tried that. Did it fix you? No, I'm not satisfied, right? So you go to the Oropagus, you hang out with some people, they throw around some ideas, and some people have new ideas. Oh, we haven't tried that before. That's exactly what's going on in Athens. What has been is what will be, Solomon said. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. You keep offering me stuff new. It's not new. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Why did he do that? Well, because God said in Ecclesiastes, didn't he? I have put olam in your heart so that you will search and look and try to find. Solomon says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that's done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. This, this is the king of God's people recording this, right? So, can we all be careful that, you know, even, because even Paul says this to the Romans, when we have even received the spirit of God, we still groan inwardly, 
So if you're a Christian and you have discovered the meaning, the significant new meaning of the resurrection, you might still taste olam in a way that feels like, oh, this is, this is a little exhausting. This is a little challenging. Solomon goes on in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 18. He says, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them. That they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Oh, this is complicated by death. This issue of seeking to answer Olam. Oh, death does something to us in this equation. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All right, quick note for every person who's thinking about changing your job, thinking about changing your marriage, thinking about changing your clothes, whatever you're thinking about changing, right? I put in your outline there and beware at some point, even the things that satisfy you the most and have won over your affections are going to groan. And taste like futility. These are the kinds of things that people love when I preach them. I will get so many thank yous for that one point right there this week. <laughs> Why do you say this kind of stuff? Well, a couple of reasons. One, it's in the Bible. There's like a whole book. If you read Ecclesiastes and you don't just feel like, oh, dude, you need some depression medicine, Solomon. What is wrong with you? Um, but let me tell you why the Bible tells us some of this stuff and why it's so important. The Bible gives us insights into the life that God created here on earth. When life sneaks up on you and it feels unexplainable, you are vulnerable in a unique way in that moment. So if you sat in church week in and week out, week in and week out, and one day exhaustion comes to you and weariness comes to you and vanity shows up and futility is what your life feels like and you have no explanation for that, you are in trouble. Because the Bible went out of its way to explain sometimes that's what it's going to feel like. And what you're going to do is you're going to stare at all the things that are in your life that have become old. And you're going to think you just need a new version of that. This is what midlife crisis is, isn't it? Everything has finally reached its expiration date. And it's, it's become old and it's kind of not delivering anymore. You know, people in your life, they're not as attractive as they once were. All their jokes have gotten old. The things that you put up with early on, now they really irritate you. So you're way down the road and all the pleasures of stuff and it's, it's just gotten old. You know, your house is old. Your job is old. The city you live in, for goodness sake, with all of its potholes is old already. The church is old. Everything is old. So we just want something new in that moment. Can, can I just tell you that's not because all of a sudden you have a bad marriage and all of a sudden the city's really horrible and all of a sudden the church is out of whack and it, it's that things become old because God has designed the world with an expiration date on it, left and right. God did that. God did that to you. Because he wanted you to have a reason to look for something new. 
Well, that's what's happening here in the Athenian Oropagus, right? They're having a think tank meeting. They're getting together. This is kind of a, they've got CNN reporters there saying some stuff. You've got Fox News is there. You've got Oprah. Uh, You've got the Home Shopping Network. Everybody is at the Oropagus making their case for why the new thing is going to fix you finally. And along comes Paul into this setting. Acts 17, verse 22. So, Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar there with a description, right? If Paul were speaking to our audience today, he would say, you know, I find you guys to be very spiritual. That's a a buzzword today, right? Spiritual. What do you mean by spiritual? Uh, Be careful. As Christians, we default to the idea that spiritual means somehow the Bible, somehow Jesus. Uh, Spiritual simply means that you recognize there's more to life than what is physical and natural. That's all spiritual really means. You may not have figured it out. You may be in the weeds. You may have some of the craziest ideas that have ever existed. But Paul noticed, you guys have set up images all around town because you're convinced there's powers at work in the universe that touch your life beyond mere natural powers. That's what he's observing. And that's still true for us today. But then he's going to do something. He's going to clarify the power that explains our existence. He says, I noticed an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it. The God who made everything. The God who stands outside of the parentheses of human existence. The God who was here before the beginning. Can I tell you about him? What is he doing right now? He's explaining Olam to them. He's taking them to knowledge outside of what they can know by discovering it through some kind of physical law. He's taking them to the place where before gravity existed, that anybody could figure out physics in our physical existence. There was a God who was before it all. He created everything. We might want to tap into his knowledge and know something about him. The God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, right? This is where we all came from. You're searching for Olam. You're searching for the past. You're searching for your existence. This is where it came from having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. What is God doing here? He's doing Ecclesiastes 3.11. I stuck Olam inside of you so that you would seek me, but you won't be able to figure out what I've done from the beginning to the end unless I reveal it to you. Well, he's actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think. We ought not to think about God a certain way. Can we just rub 
everybody the wrong way right now. Paul comes along, sits down at the great social media meeting of all times in the Oropagus, and he says, we ought not think about God a certain way. Is it okay for God to step into the world and say, hey, just wanted you guys to know you misunderstand who I am. You got me wrong. That's what Paul's doing here. We ought not to think about God a certain way. How many of you guys have recognized there's a lot of people thinking about God a certain way in a way that they ought not to be thinking about God that way. And what's more important than human tolerance of every idea that everybody can come up with is truth. In the end, truth is not trendy, it's truth. So no matter what we think today, we ought not to think about God in certain ways. That the divine being is he's like gold or silver or stone or image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man. Right? Remember, death came through a man. Something else has come through a man here. Whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by doing what? By raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. Keith, what does this have to do with Easter? Well, when Paul interacted with the issues of the day when he showed up at a social media exchange and he looked at what Twitter was producing and he listened to one new idea after another new idea. This will fix man. This will touch our problems. This will change the way society is out of step. This is why we're hurting one another. This will fix that. This is why disease exists. This is why this policy needs to be part of our government. When Paul stepped into that central to his discussion was the resurrection Verse 18 of of chapter 17, he says, some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. There's something about what you're searching for, your quest for something new and new and new and new and new that needs to find the resurrection. And God has actually set up life to where we would actually search for the resurrection. So I'm going to call this morning the the resurrection, the, the gateway through which God has wanted to pull humanity to this gateway. And quite honestly, where Solomon said, there's nothing new under heaven until this. Because up until the moment of the resurrection, the same thing that was and ruled and ruled and ruled every day was death. But when the resurrection showed up, Something changed. Death began to work backwards. God had done something so amazing. I wrote in your outline, something something needs to take us to a life that is truly beyond this life. It cannot be, it cannot be from or built out of the dust of futility. Right, when you and I get to that moment where we, we want to move on from what's old, We're just worn out by the oldness and the sameness and the lack of reward and the low ceiling. And we pick up dust and we form something, quote, new out of the old dust of our world. 
All we're doing is just installing a new moment of futility in our future. And then we install another one. And look, if you track your life, right, it may be that, hey, you know, I was raised in a certain home. We had certain problems. Never got along with my parents. We had these kinds of issues, those kinds of issues. And then along came Prince Charming. He's going to fix my world. I'm going to get married. And we're going to be happily ever after. Uh, I mean, you guys have read enough of those stories or had people in your family like that. They tend to marry like Prince serial killer. It's like, this guy is like the worst thing in the world they could have ever gotten around. And yet now they're married to it. And what they did was they just picked up the dust of futility and put it into a different package and joined themselves to it. And they just installed another date that eventually Prince Charming is going to become a jerk and, and reality is going to set in and you're going to bump into your low ceiling and you're going to want something new again. And this is what humanity does over and over again. Ecclesiastes 6, one more dose of Solomon. You're going to think Solomon is just, he, he, he's, again, he needs antidepressants. Ecclesiastes 6, 1, Solomon says, There is an evil that I have seen under heaven, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing, of all that he desires, yet, yet, God does not give him power to enjoy them. Oh my goodness. But a stranger enjoys them. Well, in the reality of that stranger, whoever inherits your stuff, he'll just enjoy it for a season and then he'll want something new as well. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives for many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. He also has no burial. I said that a stillborn child is better off than he. All right. Can you notice for all of us who, who like to rescue God from doing anything that we don't like, which the Bible doesn't do that. So the Bible doesn't mind putting God in quote a bad light, right? Is God in a good light here? Well, he actually is because he's God. He can never not be in a good light. But we impose our ideas on God, right? So I wrote in your right line, God has, first of all, in Romans, he subjected the world to futility. Whether I think that was a good idea or not, God did that. Then here we say, God does not give him power to enjoy things. Well, you give me all this stuff, but you don't give me the power to enjoy it. Thanks a lot. But the God who has hardwired creation with futility also offers a new life. Via the resurrection. God has created forces in our lives that funnel us to this one gateway. Through it lies new. The resurrection brings us to something new. Really new. Jesus said in John 11. He spoke this to Lazarus' family. He said to her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So whether you are Martha, who has just lost one of the dearest things on earth to her, Lazarus, her brother, is dead, gone. 
or you are Solomon who has the ability and the power to buy one thing after another, to mobilize armies if he needs to, to get all the gold that he needs to buy, whatever it is that he wants, and to have any desire that he wants, at some point you're going to bump into the ceiling called futility. And I'm going to need something new. I wrote in your outline, Jesus has brought the dawn of new to us. He's made death run backward such that now death is not the end, but the beginning. And life is not merely about the temporary. It is about the eternity that is in our hearts. This is what the resurrection has done for us. And we get to the, to the Easter of 2022. Keith, you can come back up, buddy. We get to the, the Easter of 2022 and uh, a lot of us have had these moments in the last couple of years where we have just said in some form or another, I'm, I'm just tired. I'm just tired of the way things are. Right now, maybe, you know, just the strangeness of these last couple of years have uniquely provided a moment where all of us could kind of arrive at that sort of a moment together. But the truth is a lot of us are arriving at that moment where I'm just, I'm just tired of the way things are. Because over time, things become old and they become old on your time schedule in a way that's not old for me, right? Maybe something's become old for you and I just had my first child and so I've got something brand new in my life. And so I get around you and you're feeling the weight of that which became old and I'm feeling like there's something new. But you know, whether it's the joy of a new baby, whether it's a new job, whether it's uh, a cure for something physical that was going on in your body, at some point, old is going to return and I'm going to need something new. But Solomon said, there's nothing new. There's nothing in this dusty world that you can just turn around, pick it up and make something new out of it. You can't make new out of that, which is old and futile. That newness will have to come from somewhere else. Welcome to Easter Sunday. Welcome to the moment where God thrust open a doorway into that which is new, which has never been before through Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection. I can bring life into a place that had lost its life. The end of the Bible, Revelation 21 says this, and I want to offer this to every one of us who are in a place where we're tasting. We just need something new. Listen to what God says. Remember, it's the resurrection that gets us here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That that first one was loaded with futility and vanity. The next one will not be. Do you have any idea what that must feel like? For pleasures to be existed without any idea that this is going to come to an end. This is going to get too familiar. This will get old after a while. I mean, there's part of us that says, wait, wait, so we're just going to like stand around God's throne and go, holy, holy, holy. Play football, you know. Some songs say what we do. Um, Because there's a part of us that says that's going to get old. You understand, in a fallen world, there's a reason why it gets old. 
Because God has subjected the world to futility. He intends for there to be an expiration date that makes us look to him and look to him and look to him. In the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no such expiration dates. You will say holy, holy, holy and long for one more moment to say holy again. And then when you said it one more time, you will want to say it again like you never said it once. And you'll want it more and more. And the glory that you see of God, it'll never get old. It'll never feel like, oh, this is eternity. We're going to be doing this for eternity. Something in you will want the next bite and the next taste. And that feeling will never go away. It'll be new and new and new and new. And it'll never get old in that new place. That's what the resurrection brought. Chapter 21, verse 2 in Revelation says, And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Listen, this is what Olam is looking for. That's what my heart longs for more than anything else. It wants to dwell in the presence of God. Everything else cannot fix that. It can never fix that. Listen, that doesn't mean God's against a good meal or having a great marriage or enjoying your children. God's not against those things. He gave those things to us to enjoy. But ultimately, what my heart is after is waiting for me in this place. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be them with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. There is a day there is a future. There is an Olam moment beyond what you and I can figure out in the existence of our lives where everything is new. And by the way, God is doing that newness even today in our midst, in our lives. God still does new. He makes things new. He brings the power of the resurrection to bear on our lives even today. Let me pray for us in two ways this morning. If you read about the resurrection and you read about what God says and you listen, and you, you hear the apostle Paul interact with the reality of who is this God and what is he like? There are wrong ways to conceive about God because I say so. No, who am I? Because God's revelation of himself. Remember God said, I stuck something in your heart, but you can't figure out the beginning from the end without me helping you. So God reveals something to us. It's not our making. It's not us who stands and says, hey, no, this is what God is like. Uh, there's a way for the resurrection to come into our lives. There's a way for newness to find its way into our lives. It is not in any idol that man has created. It's not in any philosophy that man has created. It is through a man. It comes through a person. For as by a man, Paul said, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So Easter morning, most important question I could ask you or if you're watching online, what do you believe about that man? What do you believe about that man? 
because through another man, whether you believe in him or not, in Adam, through him came death and it's traveled all its way to you. And just as real as death is, the resurrection is real. And it comes through a man. It, it doesn't come through any other means. It doesn't come through an idol. It doesn't come through a philosophy. It doesn't come from some kind of transcendent med- meditation. It doesn't come through re- uh, being uh, coming back to life over and over and over again. It doesn't come through that. It comes through a man. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, do you believe that about Jesus? So maybe Easter 2022 is the moment for you where you stop and you come into agreement with God and you take your faith and you put it in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here right now and you've experienced things have gotten old. One thing after another has gotten old. That's pretty discouraging. And none of us are exempt from that. Everybody in this room knows something about something precious to us got old. Maybe it died and went away. Maybe it became broken and didn't work the way it once did. But we are walking now in the brokenness of that which has become old. It doesn't satisfy us any longer. Listen, I would never want you to ask this question. This is to be a hard marriage moment question. But sometimes your marriage, your relationships, things that were precious to you, they become old and familiar in ways that they just don't, quote, do it for you anymore. Now, I get, come in for some marriage counseling to see if we can work on that. But there's an aspect of that that cannot be fixed. There are things in this world that were never intended to satisfy us fully. God was intended to do that. And one day, all the other things will give way to that being the thing for us. But if you want to receive that new life, that resurrection new life, this morning, believe in Jesus. Put your faith and your hope in him from whatever it is that you've put your trust and your hope in for your life. Take it away from that right now. Take it away, whatever it is, your career, your money, being a good person. Take it away from that. Put it in Jesus Christ. Let's stand up together. We're going to pray. Oh, Lord, what, what a day this is, Lord. You feel it in the moment we came into this room together. Something about the resurrection, something about being reminded about it, something about knowing that it happened, something about what you did at a moment in history that was new, totally new. It brought something into our existence that just simply wasn't there before. All that death threatens us with, all the ways that it steals from our lives, All the ways that we are reminded that whatever it is that we have in our life right now, at some point, it's going to diminish. It's going to bring less to us or it could even go away completely. Lord, and we feel that. Lord, your solution to that is that you are making all things new. And you've done that through your son. So God, I pray this morning for every person who's here, every person who's watching, who perhaps has never come to a moment where they've transferred 
their olam, their search for their past, their search for their future. They've transferred that to Jesus Christ, who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, if you're here this morning, you're watching, and you want to put your faith in Jesus. It's a moment of decision of your will. It's you believing in your heart and acknowledging that to God. It's you saying, God, I believe in what you did in sending your son. I believe that he was resurrected, that you resurrected him as a statement. And you've accepted all that he's done on my behalf. He is my forgiveness. He is my restoration. He brings me back to you. He will welcome me into a new city one day that I get to dwell in forever with no futility and no vanity in it. God, today, I put my trust in this Jesus. I put my hope in him and the life that he came to bring to me. This day, Easter 2022, God, I give my life back to you and I look to you that you will make all things new from this day forward in my life. Lord, there are many in the room here who have prayed a prayer like that years ago in their lives. And like the Apostle Paul said, even those of us who have tasted of the Spirit groan inwardly. God, I just want to pray for those of us who have been groaning, tired, wearied, exhausted. What I want us to be reminded afresh this exhaustion, this difficulty in this world, it's, it's not because the world's out of control somehow. It's not because somehow we have made mistakes and decisions that cannot be corrected and therefore we're just going to live in the mess that we've made it. No, no, somehow, Lord, you have injected something into this world. Its design is to cause us to look to you. So God, I pray for every person who finds themselves. I pray for my own soul. I've found myself exhausted. So I've found myself struggling. God, and I know many else, others who have as well. Lord, you are the God who makes all things new, Lord. You are the God who reaches into our moments where we just got reminded that the old things can't fully satisfy, but you can and you will. And you are with us to the end. You will not forsake us. You will not leave us. You will sustain us now. Lord, the resurrection power shows up now. It's not just in the future city, but it's here now. But Lord, it also is going to be one day in a city like no other place we've ever been. And so Lord, if in my heart I long for that city and I want to get out of this city, that's okay. You're all right with that. Lord, if one day I'm longing for your presence so near that it just drowns out every other piece of noise and distraction that's, that's in my world. Lord, I think you're okay with that. Lord, if I'm not content to be in a world where futility is installed and I want to be in a place where nothing but satisfaction is available every second, Lord, I think you're all right with that. God, would you remind us this Easter, you are making all things new. That's what the resurrection brings to us that we didn't have before. A new day, a new glorious day that's coming. Let's close by singing together.
Happy Easter. God bless.